Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Today's guest, author and productivity expert Matt Sandrini, believes that time has no intrinsic value and that it is, quote unquote, essentially worthless. Now, given that I've been saying for years that your time is your most important asset, you'd kind of think that we wouldn't have much to talk about in this conversation, right? But on the contrary, by the end of today's episode, Matt not only convinced me that our time is in fact worthless, but I'll bet that we're going to convince you of the same thing. As the founder of Time Zillionaire and the author of the book, Invest Your Time, Matt has coached business owners, CEOs, and entrepreneurs around the world to take control of their time and boost performance. Therefore, Matt is no stranger to using time as effectively as possible to achieve the most important goals in life. His story is very similar to mine in that he was a type A overachiever who hit a giant wall and burned out more than once. As he emerged from the dark hole, he of course assumed that he needed to strive for more work-life balance, only to discover that that was kind of the last thing that he should be searching for. In this conversation, Matt and I discuss the true value of your time and how to use it most effectively. And as a side note, being effective is much different than being efficient. We also discuss why creativity and structure are not necessarily enemies and how to most effectively plan your week no different than you might budget your finances for the week or for the month. And most importantly, we dispel the myth that we should all be searching for some semblance of balance, and we discuss what to cultivate and strengthen instead. Now, if you're interested in learning how to better balance and manage your time, this is the conversation for you. Okay, without further ado, my interview with author and productivity expert, Matt Sandrini. 
I'm here today with Matt Sandrini, who is a business coach that helps entrepreneurs grow their businesses by focusing on what actually brings them results without constantly being overwhelmed. And you are also the Amazon bestselling author of the book, Invest Your Time. And anybody that knows me well enough knows that this is just going to be two nerds geeking out on productivity and time today. And I love having these conversations and I'm so excited to have you on the microphone today. So thank you for being here, Matt. Thank you for having me, Zach. And I'm excited to be the other nerd on the other end of this conversation. Excellent. All right. Well, what I can tell you, first of all, is that you have a really unique view of time. And I've done a lot of reading on productivity and time management and time blocking and intention and focus. Like, this has essentially been my life's work for the last five to 10 years. It all started with the personal journey of I have no idea how to structure my life as an adult because I was so used to having the structure as a child with school and college and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I need to learn how to manage my time. Diagnosed with adult onset ADD. And I realized I couldn't even manage my own laundry and my bills and my dishes at the same time. Went into a deep dive. And what I felt that was, was the largest discovery was that time is the most precious asset that I have. <laughs> and you basically say, well, time has no value and it's worthless. And as I'm reading that, I'm like, wait a second, this is the antithesis of everything that I've read. But then as you started to make your argument, I'm like, oh my God, you're right. So talk to me a little bit about your own personal journey and where it started. And then we're going to get to this idea that time is essentially worthless because I love the way that you argue that point. But first, I need to understand how you got there in the first place. Yes. And, and that's a great start. And well, I guess like my journey through really understanding, first of all, like what, what is the value of time to me, but also what I wanted to do with that time. It was really when I started to, uh, I started my first big job was a corporate job as a, a business consultant. And I went from my studies to, you know, and being quite structured and having a structure around that that was imposed on me. You know, even like when you're in school, as a kid, you, everything is structured for you. It's like, you know, you, you go to a specific room and you're there until the, the, the bell rings and then it's the same thing. And then, you know, it changes a little bit when you're, when you're older and you go to university, but still you've got this structure that is there for you and you don't really question it, right? And so when I started with uh, this big job, I was... Um, it was a similar thing. I had like a lot of structure imposed on me. But at the same time, I noticed that, you know, I tried to be really, really effective and um, really excel in uh, in my position. And the reason for that was that I traveled quite a lot for work and I was away from uh, my, my girlfriend at the time. I was away from my friend, away from my, my flat. So I really wanted to make the most of my free time. And I thought, well, if I can be really effective and do an amazing job in my hours at the office, that means that I can I can finish earlier, or maybe I can do more things and more efficient and, and compress more things into my day, while at the same time uh, not compromising on on my results. And so I really found a lot of ways to like be really efficient and make sure that I over delivered. And 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 over time, I then um, I started finishing my work a lot in advance. So it started to be four p.m. and there was two p.m. and then by Thursday I would finish most of my work. At, that was due on Tuesday. And I remember this moment where I just, um, the head of the project I was working on was uh, really, really happy with my work. And I just said that to my manager. And my manager took me to, to the side and said, well, you're the first one to leave the office and that's not okay. And I thought, but you know, I'm also the one that you know, has just been, has just received uh, like a lot of, of kudos from like, the head of the project. 
And she was saying, like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Everyone leaves at 6.30 or 7. You have to leave at 6.30 or 7. And at that point, I remember, like, at this moment, it was kind of like a, maybe a negative or a reverse light bulb moment where I realized that what I was assuming, that was, like, okay, I want to be more efficient so I can create more results for my team, didn't really work that way for that structure that was imposed on me. And actually, you know, that um, I, I had to be in the office for a certain amount of time. It didn't really matter uh, what I was doing. And it's just at that point that I realized that, well, that actually my output wasn't necessarily proportionate to the amount of hours I was putting in at the office. I thought, okay, if I stay in, my output can stay the same. It doesn't necessarily have to go up. And it's really the first time that I thought, oh, okay, actually, I can I can change a game and either make it to my advantage or not. And so later on, when I then uh, I left my job and I started my, my first business, uh, I went the other way, meaning that like I, I did the classic sort of entrepreneur thing, working uh, 16 hours a day or even longer, not really knowing what you're doing. And, and you know, I think that at that point, I was kind of rejecting that structure that uh, had been imposed on me for so long. But seeing those two ends of that, that spectrum, and one was like, you know, you just have to put in the time, and the other one was like, you have to put in a lot of work and time doesn't really matter, really made me question things. And I was like, if I keep putting in 16, 18 hours a day and I'm not getting the results that I want, and before I was getting the results that I want, but, you know, I was measured on time, it really made me think in a different way. And so I was like, I'm not, I'm working such long days and not seeing results. And I had to change that and really think about uh, things and go back to being really effective and think about what are those things that I'm using my time on that are actually giving me the results that I want. And can I focus more on that? Can I do less of what is actually just a time sink and do more of what is giving the results in my business? And that attitude literally changed my life, my business and my results and, and my lifestyle. And then over time, I kind of evolved that into um, a lot of the tools and the ways of thinking that I've then uh, also explained in, in the book, like Invest Your Time. Yeah, so that's how it all started. Yeah, I, I have a very similar journey as well, where I was basically born and raised uh, modeling the the workaholic attitude, which is the more hours I put in, the more output it's going to create. And that was just perpetuated once I got into the Hollywood film industry. And, you know, this idea where you're saying, well, you're always the first one to leave the office. We've just been taught this thing that's called the theater of work. It really doesn't matter what we're doing. As long as we look busy, then we're earning our paycheck, right? And I realized, well, this is just leading me to repeatedly being burned out. You push, you push, you push, you put in the long hours, but because you have to be there anyway, what's the point of becoming more effective with your time? Because if you can't leave earlier, well, then I might as well just continue being inefficient because it keeps me here and it makes me look busy. But then I asked myself, what if I flip the script? What if instead I'm always the first one to arrive and the last one to leave, which was basically part of my identity. I said, whenever I go to a new job, and I would even say this in interviews, I'm going to be the first one there in the morning and the last one there at night. And everybody says, oh, that's fantastic. He's a hard worker. I said, well, clearly this isn't going to work for the next 40 years of my life, especially if I value, number one, my health. And number two, I value my relationship with my family and now my young kids. What if I flip the script? What if I decided that I'm going to be the last one in the office every day and the first one that leaves, what difference would I have to make in the way that I do my work and the way that I create my relationships with the people that I collaborate with? And it took some time, but I realized that at least in my industry, it is all about output. If you're working for a corporation, yes, they're going to be staring you down and wondering, well, why is it you're not working right now and why are you leaving early? But I found an industry specifically working as a film editor where as long as I'm meeting my deadlines 
and the quality of the work is at or above the level of expectation. Nobody cares when I show up and nobody cares when I leave. And that's kind of how my journey started. But the biggest thing that I realized, and it took me a long time to understand this, and I know that this is something you speak to a lot as well that I want to go deeper into. There's a huge chasm of difference between the words efficient and effective. So let's talk about the difference between these two, because I think that mistaking them is one of the, the fallacies that leads people to becoming burned out. That is such a great point. And um, yeah, I think like I didn't understand the distinction between these two for, for a long time. And it, it, it hurt me. And I know that many people that work really hard and maybe don't see the results that, that they deserve are, you know, are not clear on that, on that difference. And so being efficient, it's focusing on the input. And so being really good at doing more and, and yeah, again, we, being quick and being able to do more things. But again, we're focusing on the input, what you're doing. Whereas being effective is getting the, the right results and the results that actually take you forward and take you closer to your goal. And so it's not really about the input and how busy you are and how many things you're doing. But it's mostly about how many things are you, are you achieving? Are you getting closer to your results? And so when you, when you look at it um, from an effective point of view instead of an efficiency point of view, it's really, really a different game because it's like shortcutting your actions and just going for the final result for the objective. Instead of saying, I have to do these 100 things, you just uh, start with the end in mind and, and say, okay, I want to get to this final objective, this done, this thing needs to be done. And I figure it out going backwards and I'd be like, okay, what's the best way? What's the most effective way to get to that result? And you'll find that you can drop most of the actions actually you would have taken anyway, most of the, the tasks or the what it's to do is that an efficient person might still work on, but an effective person doesn't have to work on. One of the examples that I use when I'm working in my coaching program and I'm working with my students, we always inevitably end up at the point where they're trying to move their career forwards in some form. And we look at email outreach and they'll say to me, well, listen, I've sent out 50 outreach emails. I've responded to, to 50 job applications. And I said, well, that's very efficient of you. But is it effective to send 50 really crappy outreach emails as opposed to sending one amazing outreach email to the person that can get you the exact job that you want? And they're like, oh, that never occurred to me before, right? So they start understanding that you can efficiently do the wrong things all day long and spend on the hamster wheel. And it's kind of like taking the shotgun approach or you can start to hunt with a sniper rifle and be very, very focused on what you need to get done. But one of the, the biggest pet peeves I have about just the productivity industry in general and a lot of the so-called productivity experts and gurus, it's all about efficiency. How can I get more done? Or how can I get more done in less time? But I feel that not nearly as many people are working on effectiveness and making sure you're doing the right things. And I feel a big part of productivity is understanding what are the right things, what's the right order, so I'm being the most effective with my time. Yeah. And most importantly, what the hell are my goals to begin with? Because, yeah. you know, I'm, and I'm sure that you see this all the time where if somebody will send me a question via email or social media, it starts with, hey, what's the best to-do list app? And I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, it's so the wrong first question to be asking, but that's where people start because it seems easy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it also makes you think that sometimes being effective is a little bit scary because you might have to do something that you don't want to do, but it will get you the results that you want. Like your examples that, for example, that you, you just gave, it, all, it just might take the right email, but it, might, it could be a bit scary to send that email. And so um, from an emotional point of view, it's easier to send 100 emails to people that will not even reply and will not reject you. But again, like 
do you want that that result or, or, or not? And it's so important. And and those are things that right now with technology, we live we, we live in a world where we can all be so fast. Like speed is a commodity. So if you're the only person to have emails on your phone, on your smartphone, you have an advantage over everyone else because you are faster, you can communicate with people uh, in a faster way, and you can just do it from your phone. But when everyone has emails on their phones, it's no longer an advantage, it's just a commodity. So speed is only an advantage if you are faster than someone. If you're just fast, well, you need to find another advantage. And being effective and focusing on the right thing right now is so underrated. And being able to do that can give you a competitive edge over a lot of other people that would just look for the best to do that. Agreed. And I think that going back to this email example, again, um, like you alluded to, well, everybody's got access to being able to send email from their phone now. But I think on an even deeper emotional level, it's number one, easier to write a template email and send it to 50 or 100 people. But then you can also give yourself the excuse, well, nobody's responding, but I did my best. I just sent out 100 emails today. But then the thought of spending the whole day writing one email like that, that's a lot tougher. And I think that then, like you said, it, it makes it harder to take on because it's more difficult and it's more uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so true. So where I want to transition now is uh, what I had alluded to in the beginning, which is really what I'm so fascinated about with your book and your philosophy of productivity is this idea that time is not our most valuable asset. Time is actually worthless and has no intrinsic value. So I love how you take this idea of time and connect it to your future self versus your present versus your past. And it's an investment almost like your finances. So go a little bit deeper into this philosophy because I absolutely love this. Well, so the idea that time is is, is worthless uh, comes from the observation that if you spend an hour queuing at the post office or if you spend an hour working on your passion or uh, or you have dinner with a great friend, that one hour is the same measure of time, but the value is very different. Um, I don't enjoy very much uh, queuing at the post office, whereas you know all the other examples are great. And so it really is about what you create with that time and not just time itself. But um, most people, or at least we are taught to just uh, just value time, you know, for just, just take it on, on face value. But even if you think about it, we all have 24 hours. It's the only really fair resource. You just get 24 hours a day. And whether you are Bill Gates or just a man in the streets, that's, uh, you, you have 24 hours. So it's how you use that that determines the, the amount of joy that you experience, the amount of growth that you experience, the results that you can get in your business, in your career, in your relationships. And so really it is about the choices that you make in the present and what is the impact that those choices will have in your present, but also in your future? In fact, if you, if you think about it, you know, now we're having this chat and it's a present experience, but we created it in the past. I was introduced to you, I guess, uh, a couple of months ago by, a, by email, by a common friend. Uh, we had a, a brief chat by email and then we set this conversation and, you know, it all happened in the past. So this is not something that we arranged right now. We did it then. And this is just a byproduct of that. You know, it's the outcome of us doing that um, and arranging that for, for the future. So really, you know, you, we don't really have a lot, of, uh, a lot of power over our present choices, but we can change a lot when it comes to our future, when it comes to t- tomorrow or a year from now or 10 years from now. And so your choices really compound. And so every day when you choose what to work on or, or the people you want to hang out with or even the skills you want to study and you want to learn, 
all that decides the options that you will have in the future and also your baseline and all the resources that you will be able to count on. And when you do that over time and you do it in a way where the present is enjoyable, but at the same time, it has an impact on the future. Well, all those choices will compound and your present choices will, will become better and better because they will grow. They will be able to stock upon the ones that you had yesterday. And on the other hand, when you just uh, you know, spend time and uh, you, you don't really think about this, you don't really think about the impact that it will have in the future, you just do something that has a, a very small impact in, in the present where you don't get this compound effect in the future. It's like always starting from scratch every day. And you know, an example of that is just uh, doing something that is a way to make maybe a bad situation more bearable by escaping it. And I'm, I'm not saying that, again, it's not about what kind of what kind of activity you you use your time on, but it's mostly about your your attitude. Uh, because you know, even if you uh, if you watch Netflix or if you do something else that is just pure enjoyment, but you do it because you want to, that is a great way to to use your time. You can even use it maybe with with a friend. And it could be a great experience, but if you just do it because, well, again, you want to escape the, the present, that will have zero impact both on you know, your present and your short and long-term future. So really, time has value. You know, it depends on the choice that you make in the, in the present moment. And when you focus your, your, your attention over time on those things that create value to, to you, and you know, it really depends on what you want to accomplish or what you like in life, whether it's joy, you know, in terms of joy or relationships or growth, or growth or your business, it's it's really when you focus on those things that you create value with your time, and you can actually have great hours, great days, great years instead of uh, just spending twenty four hours and just uh, taking for granted that that has some intrinsic value because it doesn't. And it's also why some people can actually charge a lot of money for for, for their time. It's because they have mastered this principle so well that they can create value for, for other people in a really unique way. And they can do that in a, in a very short amount of time. And so again, some people you know, can be paid minimum wage per, per hour and other people can be paid five figures for a one hour call. And it's just because they have created, they have found a way to create more value by investing their time. And over time, that one hour is worth a different amount to other people. And it's, it's just that it just shows how, again, there's no intrinsic value for that time. We'll get 24 hours and we'll choose how to use them and we'll choose how to create value out of them. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here 
happier than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, and I love that whole philosophy and the, the keywords here that really stuck out to me. Uh, and this is really a question that anybody can ask of themselves at any time, any day, is what I'm doing right now, spending my time or investing my time? And the way that you equate this to money and credit cards and investing, I think is brilliant. So it's a matter of, well, am I going to spend $1,000 on buying junk that has no value as soon as it's no longer new and it's mine? Or do I put that $1,000 in the bank where I may not even see it for 25 years? But the compound interest is so profound that when I get it back, it's like, holy crap, what an investment that was. But short term, I've just lost $1,000 that I can't touch for 25 years, right? And I feel like time is so similar. And the one area that I want to go to next that I think hits this point home even more, and I think you put this brilliantly, and this is kind of one of those things where it's like mind melding, where I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I could have written this section of your book. And it's almost like you were copying directly from my brain. And it's all about this idea of intention, right? intention is what makes all the difference. It's not about the time itself. What is the intention of the time? And I guess it's a matter of, am I intending to spend my time or invest it? But let's go even deeper into this idea of intention. Uh, one of the examples that you use is reading books. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of how do I spend it or invest it, even if an observer stands outside and they see the exact same behavior. Yeah. So one question that um, I got a few times is, I, uh, how can I stop wasting time? And what I would say is it, it's impossible to waste time because time moves at the same speed. You know, we, we move through time 24 hours, you know, well, uh, 24 hours a day and time moves uh, one hour per hour. And so you, you can't really waste it. it. The only way to waste time is to do something that you don't want to do. Um, because if you, if you uh, read, you know, if you read the book, is that wasting time? Not if you want to do it. If you watch Netflix again, is that wasting time? Not if that's really what you want to do. It could be an amazing way to to recharge and, and really take your mind off things. And so really the the difference is your intention. Is it, do, do you want to do that? Or are you just doing it because it's what's happening to you? And in that case, you're being very unintentional. And so in a way, you are wasting time just because you're not doing what you really want to do, right? If Again, if we go back to the Netflix example, you are watching that, but what you really wanted to do was to go out and uh, go for a run. Well, then you're not being intentional and you are wasting time just because you're going against what your, your real desires were. And you know, when it comes to, to reading books, in your example that, um, that you're mentioning, again, it really depends on, are you, is this a book that you really want to read because you will enjoy it? It's something that will help you in your journey. Or are you just doing it because you feel like you have to? 
And if that's the case, well, what are you going to get out of, you know, reading a book a week? Well, probably nothing, you know, it's just that if you don't enjoy the moment or if you're not learning something that makes you grow, well, you might as well not read them. Or if you are being intentional, you know, sometimes reading five books a year that are really intentional, that could be a great way to learn a specific skill or a specific thing that could unlock your business or unlock your growth or unlock your projects. And so again, it's about, am I being intentional or do I just think that time and things will take care of themselves and kind of create value just intrinsically without me having to guide them and have that intentionality? Exactly. And one of the examples that I use in my program, and it's a very common reason that people come to me in the first place, is they say, I just cannot get off my phone. Like it's always there. It's always distracting me. And if we're talking specifically about intention, I'm not going to go too deep into how to eliminate those distractions or organize them. I've talked about that on multiple other podcasts. But if we're talking specifically about this idea of intention, let's assume that I'm measuring my time on Instagram versus somebody else's time on Instagram. And we see that both of us spent 60 minutes per day on Instagram. And you'd say, well, Jesus, I thought you were a productivity expert. You're spending 60 minutes a day on Instagram, whereas somebody that comes to me and wants to get off their phone spends the same amount of time. Well, let's talk about their intention. That person's intention is, well, I don't really have one because every time I want to get into a deep creative time block and I want to start doing something that's going to move me forwards, I'm afraid to do it or I'm not sure it's the right thing I should be doing and Instagram for 15 or 20 minutes, right? So it's not about intention. They're just getting sucked into it. Whereas for me, Instagram has a very specific intention. It actually has two. One of which is that most of the people that I follow on Instagram are American Ninja Warrior athletes. So because I'm training for American Ninja Warrior, I use that as my inspiration and I use it as research. I say, oh, wow, that's a really cool training technique. I'm going to bookmark this and I'm going to try it the next time I go to the ninja gym. The other intention that I have is especially in the afternoons after I've done three, four, five straight hours of writing or editing, my brain's a little fried. So I need to do what I call cleansing my palate. So I spend 15 minutes and I just stare blankly at Instagram and just mindlessly scroll. And it's even on my calendar. But I know that when I'm done with it, after about 15 minutes, I've recharged enough that I can get into my deep creative block. So if I'm measuring my time on Instagram, quantitatively, well, I'm really spending a similar amount of time as other people. But the quality of that time is so much higher because of the intentionality behind it. I love that. And I love the example of Instagram. It's such a great example for that. And, mo- and again, most people I can imagine, or most people would react, not expect out of you, right? But that intentionality makes all the difference. Exactly. And the intentionality is going to kind of lead us to where I want to go to next, which is this assumption that, well, wait, if I'm either spending or investing my time and I want to invest it more wisely, well, that means I probably shouldn't spend all of it working. I should spend some of it with friends. I should spend some of it with family. So guess what? Then that means I must have to find work-life balance. And like me, you also say the work-life balance doesn't really exist and it's a myth. So talk to me a little bit more about your view of what work-life balance is. Yeah, well, I think that the idea of work-life balance, it comes from a place of scarcity in a way, um, because you're already looking for a compromise. You're looking for work and life as two separate things. And also, how do you define life uh, as how can work be, be separate? But you know, you're seeing them as like two separate entities, and you have to kind of find that balance in between where... You know, neither of them is is too hurt or in a, in a bad situation. And that starts from a place of compromising. It starts from a place where you think, well, I can work, but work is going to, if I put a lot of my attention on work, it's going to tip that balance. So I'm going to have to adjust 
on, on life, not understanding that really it should all be part of, of the same ecosystem. And it is. In fact, if you enjoy your work and have, have great results and uh, are really effective, like, like we were saying earlier, you will feel great and really accomplished. And well, guess what? That will have a positive effect on your relationships. And then once you invest your time in your relationships and have great people around you that inspire you, that support you, that motivate you, help you grow, guess what? You know, your, your work is going to go better. But also at the same time, every other area of, of life, your fitness. You know, when I had this moment, like at the end of, uh, of my corporate career and then at the beginning of my, my first business, I was like, I was really thinking about work and life are separate. So I went all in, um, in into my work and my business. And the thing is, as everything else eroded in my life, also my business and my attention and my motivation and my clarity, they all eroded. And it's, it's really when I started to go back to my fitness, go back to like, okay, I want to have uh, more people around me, more inspiring people around me. I want to meet people that can help me in my personal life, in my business. That's when everything then started growing. And, you know, my business started to do better as well and my lifestyle. And it's really because there's, there's no separation. It's all part of the same sphere, I call it. And so when you grow one part of the sphere, every, everything else grows. But at the same time, if something shrinks, then everything else shrinks at the same time. And um, when, you know, when um, we think of it as a work-life balance, we always think in terms of, well, you know, my, my resources are, are limited. So if I do this, if I focus on my fitness, I won't be able to uh, make progress on my businesses. And that's so not true. You're, you are probably using your resources and your time, not in a very effective way. And, and at the same time, you're keeping everything separate, not understanding that every single area of your life influences uh, the next one and, and so on. Well, what I love about the sphere example and uh, to kind of equate this to the people in my industry, um, we are, uh, you know, we, we basically are part of the gig economy, right? We do, we go from project to project to project. And what I hear from people over and over and over when I talk about better health and exercising or eating well, and everybody says, oh, I know I need to do all of that. I'm going to do all that when the next hiatus comes. But guess what? Hiatus never comes. So people think, well, if I compartmentalize right now, I'm in work mode. But then as soon as this job is over, then I'm going to be in getting healthy mode. But then all of a sudden you, you get to that point, you're like, well, Jesus, I'm so exhausted from burning myself out that I can't even get the energy to get into I'm going to be healthy now mode. But then guess what? Somebody calls and says, hey, I've got a job for you. And you're like, oh, crap, my hiatus just disappeared. I didn't have time to get healthy. Now I have to be back in work mode. And again, you're trying to balance these things, but it's impossible to balance one over the other if you're not focusing on all of them simultaneously. And kind of the, the core foundation of this whole program is people say, well, like you just said, well, I can't both move my career forwards and move my health forwards. Like I have to prioritize my health despite my career. And I say, no, it's the opposite. You can move your career forwards because you prioritize your health and your well-being. So it's not a matter of balancing. I'm doing this at one time and this at one time. But when I take the average time over the course of a month or a year, it all balances out. That just doesn't work, which is why I love this fear example. Yeah. And it's also, you know, that, that attitude of always waiting for that break to then look after yourself um, doesn't take into account two important principles. The first one is that you are the most important asset that you have. Whether you want to work or, or create a great lifestyle or, or live a great life, you can only do it with you. And so if you don't look after yourself, if you don't, if you don't sharpen your skills, if you don't look after your health, if you don't look after your energy, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to, to achieve anything in any area of life. 
And then, you know, because we, we always adapt to what we do in life. You know, like if we uh, train every day or we go for a run every day, we're going to become semi-athlete runners, if not even at, at an athlete level. But if we spend every day on the couch, then guess what? We're going to be world-class couch potatoes. And that's just because we adapt to what we do and we adapt to our environment and we, we are great at that. And so if you just put things up for three months and then six months and a year, guess what? You're not going to stay stable. That's a myth. You're just going to adapt to not doing the things that you actually want to do. And it's just going to become even more difficult than get started and then keep going. And what usually happens is that people have put up all these things that, you know, it could be reading books or it could be having a better social life or, uh, or looking after their health and fitness. What usually happens is that, you know, we then do it for a week and we go all in and it's too difficult. We give up and it almost uh, hurt. And so it's then difficult to go back and keep going. And we don't understand that, you know, wherever we are right now, it didn't happen overnight. It happens, you know, it's the choices that we make day after day that, that get us to the point we are right now, whether it's a negative or a positive moment, that's what happened. And so if you want real change, it can only happen over time, over the same the same compound. Right. And that uh, that's the perfect segue talking about making these choices over the long term for hours, for days and for weeks. I don't want people to just walk away from this conversation to say, oh, these are all really good points and they're depressing and I'm not doing any of them. And what the hell do I do now? Right. I always like to provide a combination of theory as well as action. And I know you're the same way where you provide very simple, specific actions to move people forward, which is the way that I like to do it as well, which is why your work resonates with me so much. And where I want to go next, which I think is one of your unique areas of specialty is being able to create structure, even for people that are highly creative, because as you know, creativity and structure seem to be two opposing things but they actually work in tandem seamlessly. And I want to pull a quote from your book, which is a very famous quote that I think is going to transition us. And it's a quote from Sun Tzu, which is, every battle is won or lost before it is ever fought. One of the things that I teach in my program is something called creating your weekly battle plan. And it's a matter of sitting down for one to two hours a week, looking at your calendar, and like you said, saying, how can I invest my time wisely instead of just spending it in the moment and being reactionary? And the response that you're going to get from just about anybody is, well, I'm too busy for this crap. I don't have time to plan. I have too many things to do, which obviously just sends you down the vicious cycle of spending your time rather than investing it. So let's do a bit of a deep dive in how to take some practical action steps to start planning your hour, planning your day, or planning an entire week so you have this battle plan ready to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one important thing about investing your time, one great advantage is that you know, usually when you work on something that is has a clear direction, a clear objective that you're passionate about, you will see results in the future. But most of the time, it's also enjoyable to show up. So it's really such a, you know, that intentionality we were talking about earlier is um, so great because it, it's not, it doesn't need to be drudgery. And that is a really important point because, you know, there could be a bit of a, a rejection otherwise of wanting to like uh, show up and only see results in the future, right? The best thing about it is that you can actually enjoy investing your time in both in the present and, and in the future. And like you said, structure is so important. And, you know, sometimes we kind of uh, shun structure a little bit because uh, we don't want things to be too organized for us. And the thing is that what happens when we do that is that someone else will will impose that structure on us, whether it's a client that actually 
uh, creates a random deadline or maybe uh, keeps emailing you or is just a you working on reactive things instead of working on things that make a real difference. And so something that is a really big mindset shift, which is similar to something that you, uh, you, you hinted at, is to look at your week in advance. And, you know, you can, first of all, you can look at your events and your commitments, really to understand, okay, do my days look all look the same? Uh, do I have more time on a specific day? Do I have you know, less time on a specific day? Have I got any trouble? And that really helps you understand on which days you, know, you can maybe do those things that require you a sustained amount of time and focus. You will do that in a day that is not, is not constantly interrupted by, by a lot of events. But something that I really like is to use time blocks. And so there may be things that you do on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. And some of those things can even be thinking long-term. I work with a client um, who has a, a big company. And uh, when we started working t- together, he said that like, the, the company culture was, was very reactive and everyone was putting out fires all, all the time and not thinking about um, long-term things that they wanted to do. And you know everything was so short-sighted. And, and at the same time, he said that he does the same. And so we wanted really to change the way uh, he operated as a founder and CEO, so that he could uh, he could change the, the the culture of the lead team and then go down to the to the entire company. And um, one of the things that we did is we we decided on a time block every week, and for uh, for two hours we'll just go to a specific rooms in in his, in his office and work on long term things. So it would have to be at least three years from now. Um, and that was such a big mindset shift because all he was thinking about was like today, yesterday, or next Monday. And going from like, well, three years from now, I want to do this, really changed the way uh, he was thinking about the business and, and changed all, all the goals and even the way uh, he worked with, uh, with his team. So that's one of the examples of how you can use time blocks. But it could even be something... You know, you could use it for for admin, like like emails. Uh, if you want to go through your your entire inbox once a week or, or more often, you know, it really depends on uh, uh, your work and how communicative you you have to be. And if you have that in your calendar, it also allows you to not look at it outside of you know of those blocks, and so you can focus on other things. Or um, well, another great example of a time block that works really well for founders and, and CEOs is uh, is an admin block where. You know, usually people work with their accountants or maybe go through payments or do things that they kind of don't want to do, but they have to do at least on a weekly or a monthly basis. And to have that for a couple of hours, say on a Friday afternoon, is a great way to say, okay, if some admin comes in on a Monday, I know I don't have to touch it. I know I can focus on what's important for me this day because I have that time block on a Friday. And really, you can use time blocks for anything that is important but at the same time, it's either fragmented throughout the, the, the week or it's not urgent enough for you to actually do it. You know, very often we are so reactive that the things that actually matter come last. And having a time block is so important because it's like having a meeting with yourself, a meeting with these really important things in your week, uh, in your month, and, and in your life and business. And it's, it's, it's in the calendar and you will do it. And I'm a big fan of having a specific time. And in and for some of them, even a specific place where you can go and do it. Maybe you know, if you're writing a book, you can have that time block. Maybe every morning, or maybe t- twice a twice a week, can go to a, a to a specific place. A, 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 it could be a bar or a cafe or, or an office space, and just write from there. And just a great way to know when things are going to happen. You're not going to have to stress about it. You're not going to have to stress about when to find that time. 
And at the same time, you don't have to think about it when it's not that time block. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, no, one of the things that I want to pull out of this that I think is so profound that everybody needs to listen to and internalize. And if I were to pull literally one sentence out of your whole book and tell people you need to listen to the sentence is that it is okay to add yourself to your own calendar. Yes. That's a game changer, right? So explain to me what that means. Well, most people use their calendar for, for other people. So if, uh, if a colleague says, hey, we have a meeting on Tuesday at 10 a.m., you put it in your calendar. And sometimes you won't even question it. You wouldn't even look at your calendar first. You just say yes to, to the invitation and just show up. But if you have to do something for yourself, you usually don't put yourself in your calendar. Or if there is a particular project you have to work on or something you want to achieve, you don't really put yourself in your calendar. And that means that you always come last because people, you know, if they want something from you or they want your time, they want to jump on a call, they want to jump on a meeting, they have free access to your calendar. And most people will just say yes, but you don't have any space in your day. And that means that you literally are the last priority on your list. And so whatever you are working on yourself, whether, you know, again, it's a, it's a new project, it's a book, it's, it, it's managing your, your business you will always do it in the leftovers of your week. And that's very disempowering. But it's actually okay to put yourself in your calendar. And that means on, on a specific time block, you don't want to work on any, anything else and don't want to be disturbed by, any, by anyone else. Great. Just put it in your calendar. And if you share that with your team, guess what? They're going to see it. And they're going to respect it. And at the same time, you're going to lead by example. So most people will be you know, more people in your team and more people around you will be empowered to do the same thing. And I guess why, especially if you can share that, then you can have blocks that happen at the same time so that you can work as a team on a specific day or at a specific time of, of a, or a specific day and then be more, more independent, at, you know, working on different things, but all at the same time so that you don't distract each other, but at the same time, you don't keep anyone else waiting. That communication is really important, but at the same time, that calendar is there for you. It's your calendar. 
it's okay to put yourself in it. And I run into this all the time with my wife because we have a shared calendar where she can see my agenda for the week. I can see her agenda. She knows when I have coaching calls. She knows if I have a doctor appointment or the chiropractor or whatever it is. But then she'll say, hey, I wanted to schedule this thing at you know 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. There's nothing on your calendar. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't see my other calendars. My entire calendar is full of blocks this week but I'm not beholden to other people's agendas. This is my agenda. So I might be writing something. I might be outlining. I might be editing, whatever it is. But to me, that time is unavailable. It's just that to an outside person looking in, they can't see my personal calendar. They think, oh, you're not doing that much this week. You're available for all of these outside opportunities. But I will set that up in advance. And this goes back to this idea of intention. So I'm asking myself at the beginning of each week or at the end of a week to prepare for the next one. It just depends on when I find time to do like what I call creating my weekly battle plan or doing a weekly review. I say, what is my intention with my time for the next week? And how do I put these individual time blocks that as they start to stack and add up, they're moving me forwards and I'm investing this time rather than spending it. And most of my calendar is filled up with blocks that are just for me and my agenda moving forwards. Because I'm sure you've heard this quote many times in the past and I'm going to be paraphrasing and off the top of my head, I can't even remember who said it, but so many people have paraphrased it. But it's basically that if you don't have your own agenda, you become a part of somebody else's agenda, right? And creating a calendar for the week or even for the next day and doing this planning, even though you say, well, I don't have time to plan my week or my day is so busy, I can't plan tomorrow, I can barely survive. Well, then again, you just continue to spend your time instead of investing it. And the biggest fundamental change for me was realizing, oh, it's okay for me to give myself time blocks and say no to other people. Yeah. And you have to break that that negative cycle. If you you know, if, if you're reactive all the time, it's difficult to say, hey, I'm going to take time to plan my week in advance, right? Because you are reactive. You don't have a time, but you have to start somewhere. And one thing that I see some people do is they, they start and they block out everything in their week. And then a week later, they come back and they say, oh, it, it doesn't work. I, I can't sustain this. And it's like, yeah, just start, you know, one, two, three blocks at a time. And then, you know, once you stick to them, then add a few more because really, again, you know, if you, if you hadn't been in, in a gym for years, you wouldn't go in and squat 400 pounds the first day. You would hurt yourself, stop and never go back. But somehow when it comes to softer skills, the more intellectual things, we think that we can go all in straight away, right? This is a great example. Like people, you know, if, if you're not used to it and you just block out your entire week, it's not going to work because you're not, you're not used to it and the people around you are not used to working on that. So it really, you have to do it step by step and educate and lead the people around you. But it's such a game changer. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that completely. And I think that, uh, you know, again, it's really about setting that intention, knowing what it is that you want to do. And then also, like you're talking about here, there's a term that I use and I don't, I'm assuming that I got this from somewhere else, um, but I can't for the life of me know where I got it just through osmosis, but it's the concept of cognitive fitness. So if somebody comes to me and says, I really want to be a focus ninja and I want to do six hours a day of deep focus, creative work of editing or writing or whatever it is, I'll say, well, can you do a time block of 25 minutes? Uh, No, I'm really distracted and I'm always checking my phone. Well, that's like you said, it's like, well, I want to be a marathon runner. So on the first day to check my baseline, I'm going to see if I can run 26.2 miles that's not going to work so well. You're going to be really, really miserable. Just run around the block. See how you feel doing one. All right, well, maybe I'll do around the block again. Can I do two? Can I do three? How do I feel running a mile? So I say you need to understand and get a baseline of your cognitive fitness. Am I able to work for just 15 minutes undisturbed 
Or do I have this insatiable craving to be distracted or find distractions? And then you slowly build from there. And in my program, we do this step by step by step where it starts with the 10 minute time block, the 15, the 25. Now let's do a full one. Now let's see how many can we do in a day? And then how many can we do over the course of a week? And how can I actually create this palette, right? Where I have all of these various individual blocks that are creating this entire week. And one thing that I want to add to this, which I think is really, really important, is this idea of theming your days. So let's talk about this because this is a big one for me that once I learned this, my entire level of productivity and effectiveness skyrocketed. Same for me. So theming your day is really the, uh, the idea of giving a specific theme or a specific outcome to each one of your days. So an example for me is that I create content on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I know exactly that those two days, that's my main focus. But it also means that on Thursday, that's not my main focus. On, on Thursday, actually, my main focus is, is coaching calls. You know, having those themes where, you know, every single day has a specific focus. And, and this is on, on repeat, but also... It also works if you have one day where the theme is uh, you can move it and change it every week. But it's uh, so important because it, it gives you the bird's eye view of your week, but also the the time and the permission to say, okay, this is the one thing I want to focus on and I'm going to do it on that specific day, which you know, in a way it also means that on every other day you'll be free to do something else. So you know exactly what to focus on. It's And also if you work with other people, if you work in a team, it's even easier to sync up because they will know what to expect from you and you'll know what to expect from them and when. And instead of having these days where we keep switching between things and we do you know, 10 things at the same time and in the end we don't get anywhere or we don't have enough, enough time to actually make progress because we keep being distracted by the next appointment or the next thing that we need, that we need to do. When we have a theme for, for the day, we know that that is the main focus that we are going to have for that, that for that particular day. And we just want to focus on that. And so everything happens, you know, all your tasks and the way you organize your time happens around that. And it's so liberating and it's so effective at the same time. Is that a similar way to how you use it? Oh, uh, yeah, it's very similar. And what I, I break this down and I also, um, I go in the opposite direction. So yes, I theme my days. So for example, if I'm not on a show, and when I say on a show, that means that I'm not actively editing or working on a show for somebody else, meaning that I'm on a project. If I don't have to worry about those constraints and I can basically budget all 24 hours of my day, however I want to, then in general, Tuesday through Thursday is a protected block of time where after I'm done working with my individual clients and doing productivity and career coaching, basically from 10.30 on, my calendar to the outside world looks completely empty, but to me is filled with content creation. So that's where I'm outlining, writing, shooting, editing, posting. The only thing that I'm doing is creating content that moves my business forwards and helps people learn how to do the things that I want to teach them. Mondays is a combination of me doing my weekly review. So my goal is that by Monday at lunchtime, I know what I'm doing every single hour until Friday evening at about 7 p.m. I also catch up with emails. I catch up with social media. Um, I do my what I call life management. I do an OmniFocus. So project management, I'm a big fan of Trello. I teach Trello. I have multiple courses for it on LinkedIn Learning and on lynda.com. Um, but I feel like for just general life management to do single actions, I do that in OmniFocus. So I'll just put a block for like 90 minutes on a Monday just to knock off all that crap. So I know that by Monday afternoon, 
everything is cleared off the plate, so to speak, and Tuesday through Thursday, I'm only creating content. And then Friday, I know that my energy is going to start to wane. The willpower is going to drop a little bit. I'm going to get a little bit more easily distracted. So that's when I check back in with the world and I check the emails and I make sure that everything's good on social media. And that's also where I'll finish up any lagging tasks or whatever it is that I need to take care of. And then Friday afternoon is generally when I schedule recovery. So that's because I'm doing a lot of uh, physical training during the week as well. That could be massage therapy, physical therapy for my, you know, I have a torn labrum on my shoulder. So I do physical therapy. It's where I would do a chiropractic appointment because I know that if I do that at the end of the week, once I'm done with that, it's kind of my shutdown ritual to say, all right, so now I'm disconnecting from work and now I can spend the weekend being intentional about my time with my family. But beyond theming the days, I also theme my weeks. So what I will do is I'll look at like the next quarter and I'll just go into the monthly view of my calendar and have a, a one calendar color that's just for themes. So for example, uh, like you and I are recording Wednesday at 11 a.m., which is like, well, wait, that is content creation, but it's also me connecting with the outside world. But my theme for this entire week is creating and recording podcasts that I can use for the next four months. So when people say, well, how is it that you do podcast episodes and you do online coaching and you have courses and you're editing TV shows, it's because I just batch all of them into small pieces. So to the outside world, they see a podcast come out every week. But guess what? Big secret reveal. I'm doing all of my podcast recordings over the course of two weeks for the whole rest of the year because I have a theme for this week, a theme for next week, and I have a theme for every single week until... September when I start my next job. But then I also break it down into themes for blocks during the day based on my ultradian rhythms. So for example, if somebody's listening to this that does what I do for a living as an editor and they're thinking, I don't have as much control over my time and I'm not a business owner, well, then I can theme within my day and say, you know what, in the afternoons, I know that I tend to get a little bit more distracted. I'm a little bit more lower energy because of the lunch that I ate. Uh, maybe I you know, was super busy in the morning. So I'm going to theme my afternoon where I'm doing catch-up work, I'm doing notes, I'm you know coordinating with my team for the next day. But the mornings for me are protected where I'm being completely creative and I'm in the zone and I have built the habit of deep work. So that's kind of how I theme both my within my days, my day, my week, and even for the entire next quarter. I, I do a similar thing. I, um, I look in my quarter in, in advance and then every month I look at what main objective I want to accomplish with each week, which is a similar thing. And but I love the way you do it. And I always like when when people batch their their content creation, especially if if you do it with other people, like in this case. And it's uh it's crazy how like until you see it, you wouldn't think of it. And most people don't don't think about it. Just see it that is it's released on a on a regular basis and they just don't realize that it's it's all batched. But that's a big secret to to batch things is, I mean, we all know that we can do that. But uh, when I started batching things a few years ago, it made such a big difference on my lifestyle and my workload and, and the results that I started to, to achieve. And just focusing on one thing and, and do that many times, then have it ready. And then you can release it on a regular basis. And I love the example of the, the podcast show. Yeah. And it, it's funny. One of the things that I talk about uh, is the one of the core fundamentals of the program for being more productive and being more effective is that I essentially treat everything in my life like loads of laundry. You don't go around washing one sock at a time, one shirt at a time, just to try and keep up with the laundry. You wait until the end of the week or whenever you do your laundry, you have an entire load and you do it at once. Why? Because it would be dumb to do 40 loads of laundry 
But guess what? That's kind of how we live our lives. That's how we answer our emails. And that's how we deal with social media. That's how we deal with all the notifications on our phones, all the demands of people on the outside world. I just batch everything. So my entire life is just a bunch of random loads of laundry that I process at the same time based on the theme, which is what we're already talking about. Yeah. Such a powerful analogy. I never heard of that before. That's cool. Um, so what the, speaking of analogies, I just, I want to point one out really, really quickly, essentially, because I want to ask your permission to steal it because it's so good and it's so applicable to my program. Um, but talking about this idea of theming your days, doing, doing time blocks, allowing yourself to get into the zone. If you're the kind of person that feels like, well, I'm a multitasker or, you know, I just kind of jump around all day long and I do specific things here and there, but they're all kind of, you know, different themes, not really batching. Um, this is quite possibly the best analogy I've ever heard to describe multitasking and distraction, which is you're essentially trying to deep dive, but with a snorkel. Yeah, it really came to me while I was writing the the book because what I was thinking is whenever you, you do something that requires a lot of uh, creative attention or even just a uh, sustained focus, so you, you get into that zone of deep work and deep focus, and, and that's when you like have that flow and can just work in a really deep way without having to think about things too much because it just happened through you've already you know maybe you've already done all the planning up front and you're just doing great work and you can never get to the point if you have to keep going back to the surface and just breathe and then come back and then breathe and it's, it's the same thing if you want to go to if you want a deep dive and really have that deep focus and work on things you have to um, be able to leave the surface and stay away and not have to keep going back. And, and going back means um, going back and checking your emails or going back to the surface and, uh, and being distracted by someone else that walks, to you, that walks up to your desk or um, maybe by social media or by another task that comes to your mind. Um, and so really you can never get to the point of deep focus unless um, you let go of all those things and you don't have to go back to the surface. You can just stay in your zone of deep focus. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And uh, it's funny because uh, the the fundamental framework of my program is the Go Far framework, which stands for goals, obstacles, focus, act, and review. And that's the framework I take people through. The reason I love your analogy is because the originator of that framework, I didn't create it myself. It was the subject of a documentary film that I directed about the first quadriplegic to become a scuba diver. Wow. So as soon as I saw the idea of deep diving versus snorkeling, I'm like, oh my God, this is the perfect analogy wow. to use for this program based on its origination. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. So I, I'm going to use it, but I will make sure to credit you. So don't worry about that. Cool, cool. Um, so speaking of two productivity experts that are all about investing their time and not spending it, we are now three minutes over budget. Um, and I want to make sure to be very conscious of your time. So I want to thank you very much for being here today. But I also want to ensure that anybody that wants to do a deeper dive into your work and possibly work with you knows how to find you and also find the uh, the seven-day productivity challenge that you'd like to offer to my audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find my my book in, in, um, on, on Amazon and, and Audible. It's called Invest Your Time. Um, you can find me uh, on social media at Matt Sandrini. Um, and also find me at timesinternet.com. And you can get my free seven-day productivity challenge at busy2productive.com. And um, through seven days, you just go through um, a few of the fundamentals and take action and do that. It will change the way you work. And um, I look forward to
seeing that change in you if you listen to, to, to this. Well, I love it. I really appreciate you prioritizing your time today and investing it with me and not spending it doing other things. Um, this has been really, really helpful for me. I'm glad that we got hooked up by our a, a fellow productivity expert as well. I will make sure that I direct everybody to your work and have links in the show notes. Um, but I cannot thank you enough for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.